Hey, good morning, everybody. So glad to be with you guys across all of our campuses today. If you don't know who I am, my name is Jeff Ray. I'm campus pastor at our Southridge campus, and I'm also pastor of service programming for all of our campuses here at The Orchard. Really, really honored to be bringing God's Word to everybody today across our campuses as uh, Pastor Eddie is down in the Bahamas finishing up work there, and uh, Pastor Chip is coming back with our kids' ministry today uh, from Kids Camp down in Lakeland. Well, today is week three in our Found series, and this has been an incredible series. Really, thank all of you so much for all the feedback that you've been giving to us throughout uh, the last couple of weeks as we've been just spending these Sundays in one place, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. We've been looking at three stories that Jesus told on a very specific day to really a very specific group of people. And this is week three, so we're going to be finishing that uh, chapter with the third story today. But let me just kind of recap. Maybe this is the first time you're kind of jumping in with us in this series. And uh, I don't want you to miss where we've been and why we are where we are today in the stories. So we know that Jesus was in a specific location and he began to teach and people began to gather up to hear him. That was the norm. People wanted to hear what this miracle working uh, teacher of God was telling people and they were attracted to him. Uh, and so part of the group that showed up uh, were kind of an interesting group. We know that in chapter 15, verse 1, they're, they're, they're kind of identified in, in, in a big way, in a general way, uh, by saying that there was a, a large group of people who were designated as tax collectors and then just as sinners. These would have been the people who were nothing like Jesus. They had nothing in common with him. They would not have been considered religious. They would not really have been uh, accepted in the religious crowd. Uh, they, were, they were not good people in the eyes of those who consider themselves to be good people. And just so we're clear, some of those people who consider themselves to be good people were also in the crowd. Along with the tax collectors and sinners were a group that chapter 15 verse 1 des uh, describes to us as Pharisees and scribes. These were the religious people. These were the ones who were seeking to keep God's law, to be obedient to what God taught, uh, about going to the synagogue, uh, about giving, by doing all the things that were required of them by the law, and doing it extremely, extremely well. Those two groups had gathered, one to hear Jesus, they were nothing like Jesus, one who thought they were at least equal to Jesus in their rightness, or what we would say is righteousness, and so as these unrighteous or these sinful people gather up, the righteous people, or at least the ones who saw themselves as that, look over this group, look at Jesus, see him talking to them, and the Bible says they begin to complain. They're grumbling. Why would Jesus, they ask, spend time with these kinds of people? I made this statement at Southridge on the first week uh, that these people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And so they were hanging out there, and those who said they were like Jesus didn't like Jesus talking to these unlikely people. And so Jesus tells three stories. And he tells three stories about some lost things that ended up being found and why we should see the value in that. Week one, there was a shepherd. He had a hundred sheep. One went missing. After he started counting, he realized one was missing, and so he went looking until he found the one lost sheep. He brings it back into the fold, and when he gets back, he calls everyone around to come and celebrate with him because what was lost was found. 
And Jesus said, In the same way, when something lost or someone lost is found, all of heaven rejoices over that lost person being found. And then he went on to tell a story about a woman who had ten silver coins, and one of those coins got lost, and she turned her house upside down. She lit extra lights. She swept. She moved furniture. She did everything she could until she found that lost coin. And when she found it, she called all of her friends and neighbors and said, Rejoice with me. Celebrate with me. I've found the lost coin. And Jesus said, In the same way, maybe even more so, When someone who is lost is found, all of heaven rejoices. And then this week, he gives us one more story. We see the value in a sheep to a shepherd. We see the value of a coin to the woman who found that coin important, whether it was an heirloom or something to be spent to provide for her household. Uh, There was value to that. But Jesus is going to tell us the story today of a lost man. And I just want to say this at the very beginning because I want you to get this today because this is where our hearts have to begin beating and where we begin to find passion for lost people who are around us. And that is this. Every, there is nothing more valuable than the soul of a, of a man. Every time we look around us, there's nothing more valuable than the soul of a man. When we look around and say, this is valuable or this is valuable, or, this is important, compared to the soul of a man. What we do to invest in seeing a lost man become a saved man, there's nothing more valuable. And Jesus is going to show us that in this incredible story. He's going to remind us that God values the soul of man more than just about anything you could possibly imagine. He values the soul of man so much that we can even know his story, that Jesus left heaven, came to earth, died on a cross for humanity, for mankind, so that our soul might be bought back out of sin, out of all the brokenness of this life. He did so so that he could redeem us, so that we could be with him forever. And so what he says is, I did all of these things. I died on a cross, went to the grave, rose again because I value the soul of man. There's this great love that comes out of that. So as we get ready to go to the text today, I just want to throw our big idea out there to us. And I want us to allow this big idea to really grip our hearts today as we think about the fact that there's nothing more valuable than the soul of man. If we're going to catch that same heart that God has for humanity, then it needs to be this thought that we connect our love for God and our love for people with. And that's this, that we show our love for God by loving people. We show our love for God by loving people. When we talk about how much we love God, it is required of us, I believe, to begin showing that love by loving other people. We put it on our t-shirts here at the Orchard, don't we? Love God, love people. We talk about that as being kind of our mission statement, our driving reason for what we do, so that those who are unconvinced, unconnected, unfinished, might be convinced, might be connected, and be on that journey with us to finishing the race and becoming finished in their faith. Loving God by loving people. And we show that we really do understand how God loves us and how much God loves us when we love people the way God loves us and the way God loves people. 
So let me share with you the story. Now, we don't have time today to read through the entirety of the last half of this uh, chapter. It starts in verse 11 and goes all the way to verse 32. And we're going to read some good portions of that. But let me just kind of summarize what happens. Jesus begins his third story by saying there was a man who had two sons, an older son and a younger son. Chronological order, right? Makes sense. It's not hard to figure out. Well, the younger son one day, for whatever reason, we're not really told, comes to the father and says, listen, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to stay on the farm anymore. I want to go ahead and get what belongs to me, what is my inheritance, what you would give to me in that day. I want you to give to me now. And I want to receive that share of the estate that belongs to me so that I can enjoy it now. And again, we're not told for whatever reason the father grants that request and gives him the share of the estate that he says belongs to him. So a few days later, or some period of time later, not many days is how the Bible describes it, the young man gathers up his possessions, gathers up all that he's been given from his father financially, and he leaves town. He walks off the family farm, he walks away from his family, and the Bible says he goes to a faraway country, and he begins to live what he would consider the good life. He begins to live in ways that probably were not accepted back at home. He lives in ways that were probably contrary to the way he was taught to live at home. The Bible describes it as foolish living. We're not told exactly, but our mind can imagine some of those things that he probably was involved in. We can imagine that he was probably living and doing things that probably were not honorable to his family and certainly were not in step with being obedient to God. And all that went on for a while, for a season, until finally all the money ran out. He had nothing left. All the money was gone. And then the country that he was living in, after he had spent all his money, they began to experience some troubles amongst themselves because a severe famine hit the land. And when the famine hit the land, things really went from bad to worse for this young man. Already out of money, and now there was nothing for him to find in resources from anyone or anything because everyone was hurting there. Still, though, unwilling to go home, still unwilling to go back to his father or thinking maybe he could not go back to his father, he attaches himself essentially as a slave to a wealthy landowner in that country. And this landowner apparently had no regard for this young man because he sends him out into the field to feed pigs. And that's where he was, feeding pigs, starving to death. Starving to death so much that the only food he could find would be food that was fed to the pigs. So the pigs said, we're not eating that. He was eating the leftovers of the leftovers trying to survive. Right in the middle of the story, the Bible says, Jesus tells us that there was a day that he finally came to his senses. Can I just stop there for a second? Have you ever had someone in your life, a family member, a friend, someone that, 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 that you know uh, is living in ways that's just destroying their lives? You see it happening. You see it unfolding, the choices they're making, the friends they're with, the places they're going, and they just don't seem to get it. And maybe you've had conversations. Maybe you said, hey, uh, check yourself. Hey, fix this. Hey, you're going too far, and they're just not getting it until one day they call you maybe out of the blue. You prayed, you prayed, you prayed. It doesn't seem to be doing any good. They call you out of the blue and say, man, I got to stop this. Something's got to give. Something's got to change. I, I kind of think that's what happened here. This guy was so bent on doing it his way for so long that he did it for so long until finally he was so depleted and so rock bottom, eating out there the leftover food the pigs rejected, that he finally, something snapped 
And he woke up enough to know this is a problem. And he began to rehearse a little scene in his head. And it went something like this. I need to go home, but i got to get the right words to say to my father so that he'll accept me back. Because there's no doubt he's going to be mad at me. There's no doubt that he probably has no regard for me. I mean, I took money from him that was my inheritance that he had to give to me early. I left without saying a whole lot. I've lived in ways that are probably embarrassing to him. And now I want to go back. So he's probably pretty ticked off. And I need to really think about this. And so he rehearses these words over and over again. When I go home, I'm going to say stuff like, Hey, Dad, <laughs> I really blew it. I, I blew it uh, in regards to you and, and, and in regards to God. Uh, man, I've messed up so bad. I'm not even worthy to even call your son anymore. So don't worry about that. I don't want to even be put back in that category. Let me just become one of your hired servants. Let me just do that because I know this dad, the, 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 the guy I'm working for, the guy that I'm here with, he, he's nowhere near as kind as you are. So whatever you would show me just as a servant, I, I'll take that. He rehearsed it and rehearsed it and rehearsed it until finally he felt so good about it, he decided, I'm ready to go home. So let's pick up the story there, okay? He's got his story ready. He's got all the words in his head. He's blown it as far as he can blow it, and he's ready to come home. So let's pick up and start reading now in the text in verse number 20. It'll be on your screen in just a second, so if you don't have a copy of God's Word, don't worry. It's going to be up for you. And here it is. This is what he says. So he got up. This is a young man. And he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Now listen to this. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, here's the rehearsed part. Here's what he had rehearsed. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But before the son could go on, verse 22, But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. We love others best when we love others like God does. But how does he do that? I think there's a beautiful picture in the text we just read that shows how God loves us. This young man knew he was a sinner, knew how broken his life had become in that faraway country, living with foolish living until everything was gone. And he found himself enslaved to a man, feeding his pigs and starving to death. I'm no longer worthy to even be called your son, he says. But while he was still a long way off, as he was coming towards his father, and his father saw him coming towards him. Get this this morning. Don't miss this. The son had not said a word to his father. He was simply moving in the direction of where his father was located. His father saw the son coming to him. And when he saw that his son was moving back in his direction, 
He did not wait on the sun to get to him. The Bible says he jumps up from where he was. And he did not walk. He did not walk quickly. He did not sprint. He full out ran to find his son in his arms. If you ever wonder, does God love people? Go back, circle, highlight, memorize this passage. Because when I was a long way off from my heavenly father, when I was a sinner lost in my sin, and I began to move towards God and understanding who God was and what God did for me on the cross and how he died for my sins and rose again, when I began to move towards him in my heart of wanting to know him, he ran towards me and wrapped his arms around me before I had a chance to do anything else. It's a beautiful picture of how God loves. He ran through his arms around his neck and kissed him. And then as his father is holding him, the son makes his confession. Father, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against God, he says. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he could go any further, that confession, that alone, I am a sinner, he says, and I have sinned against you. When he got those words out, the father allowed him to say nothing else. He turns to a servant and he says, find the best robe, put it on him. Find the ring that belongs to him that signifies him as my son. Put it on him. Find some new shoes or shoes at all for these feet that have walked so far away and now walk so quickly back. And then you find the best in the herd. And you slaughter that calf. And you call everybody together. And we're going to celebrate. This son of mine was dead Dead in his sins, dead in his, his lifestyle, dead in the choices he made, but now he's alive. This son of mine was lost, but he's now found. And the Bible says, in that moment, they began to celebrate. Such a beautiful picture. Such an incredible story. Now I want to pause just long enough before we finish the story, because remember, there are two groups of people listening. There were tax collectors and sinners. They were the guys who needed to know that they were far off, but they could come back. But there were also some Pharisees and scribes. And these Pharisees and scribes are listening to this story, wondering how in the world all this is going to play out. Because these sinners are finding hope. These sinners are finding grace. These sinners are hearing they can be forgiven and accepted. But what about those who are already doing the right thing? The story goes on. Let's pick up the story now in verse 25 and read to the end of chapter 15 because we finally meet the older brother and we finally figure out what Jesus is trying to say to these groups of people, tax collectors and sinners, Pharisees and scribes. Read with me, verse 25. Now, his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Can I just pause there for a second and just say this? I love the fact that they could hear the, dan- the music. I love the fact that they could hear all the, the instruments, the shouting, the singing, whatever was going on. But there was so much celebration on. The Bible says they heard the music and the dancing. They were stomping their feet. They were clapping. They were having a party. 
because the lost had been found. They were showing what the joy of heaven must look like when someone who's lost is found. Verse 26. So, the older son, he summons one of the servants, questioning what those things meant. And the servant says, Your, your brother is here, he told them, and your father has slaughtered the fatted calf because he has back safe and sound. He has him back, safe and sound. He was lost, he just said. He was gone. You know this. He's back. He's safe. He's alive. And so your father has slaughtered the calf, and we're partying, man. You're just in time. Come join the party. Verse 28, then he, the son, older son, became angry, and he didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him, but he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, this son of yours who has, look at this, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes. Man, he just slams him down, doesn't he? You, he says, slaughter the fatted calf for him. He's angry. And maybe he has a right to be. I don't know. Son, he said to him, verse 31, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Can I be transparent with you guys today and say this? There have been some people that have been part of my life. Maybe some family, certainly some friends, who I didn't like their life very much. They made some really bad choices. I didn't like the way they hurt me. I didn't like the way they hurt others. I didn't like the things they did. I didn't like the things they said. I was so frustrated with them that I really wanted nothing to do with them. And I never really wanted to see anything good come for them. I don't think I'm alone in that. I think we all live there at times, don't we? This older brother shows up and he hasn't heard from his brother. Nobody knew if he was alive or dead, apparently. Nobody knew what was going on. But they knew this. He had taken the, his father's assets and he had gone away. And his brother probably knew what he was up to. Maybe his brother even had dreamed of some of those same things, but never would have disobeyed his father. But nonetheless, he goes. And now he comes back home from the fields, working all day, trying to earn money for his family business. And, and what's going on? A party. A party. You're, you're telling me there's a party going on, I missed it? Hey, who's the party for, he says. Oh, it's for your brother, my brother. I'm not going into that party. Guessing the servant must have gone in and told dad, hey, your older son is here and he's pretty hot outside. You may want to go talk to him. And the dad comes out and the Bible just simply says he pleads with him. Son, listen, come into the party. Don't miss this. This is joyful. Your brother was gone. He's here. Come into the party. And the son says, are you kidding me? I'm not going in there. This is the same son that you're in there celebrating who took all of your assets and spent every dime on it. And he accuses him of sleeping with and spending time with prostitutes. I've been here every day working. You haven't given me so much as a goat 
to celebrate with. Crazy part of this whole story, we have no idea what the brother ended up doing. We have no idea. I mean, think about it. The dad says to him, you're always with me, everything I have is yours, but we have to celebrate. We have to do this because your brother was dead and is alive. Your brother was lost and he's found. We have to celebrate. We don't know what the older son did. We never know if he went in. So let me tell you a story, and we'll be done. One of my best friends in middle and high school was a young man named Chris. Uh, I spent time at his house. He spent time at my house. We were together all the time. Uh, up until probably the last few years of high school, last couple of years of high school, and, and uh, he began to, to hang with a different crowd, and I was more involved in my faith and church and things that became more and more important to me. And we stopped spending time together. We were on two different trajectories. Spent so much time together, had so much in common, always loved hanging out, but just lost touch. I began serving in ministry, began working for the church, then went on the road singing gospel music, and uh, uh, we, we, were, we were working towards goals of, of ministry for the future. Uh, got married to, to Donna, and uh, we began thinking about how that was going to play out, and a couple of years into our marriage, we were at a high school graduation for one of Donna's cousins. And um, I hear someone call my name across the stadium uh, from one end to the other. And I look over, and it's Chris. And I leaned over to Donna and said, hey, there's Chris down there. I really don't want to talk to him. See, I knew some stuff about Chris. I knew how he'd been living. I knew the stuff he'd gotten involved in. I knew the things that he had been doing with his life and how that was affecting him and, and that he wasn't a believer. And uh, he didn't give up. He wanted to come see me. He wanted to come see me primarily because he was not feeling any pain. Can I just leave it at that? Uh, he was uh, feeling good that night from some things that he had brought into his system. And seeing me was just part of the party for him at that moment. And so he began to shout and, and make his way through the crowd, a, crowd, a big crowd, till he got right with me. And he sat down in front of Don and I began to talk very loudly. And his language was very colorful. It was filled with lots of words that people around us were being very, very, offended by uh, because that's just how Chris talked. He was a lost man and he was talking about some of the things that he had put into his system that night and some of the things that he'd been involved in and he talked and talked louder and louder and here's the problem. Here, get this today. Here's the problem. I'm sitting there. People around us knew who Donna and I were in ministry and gospel music and I was getting embarrassed and angry the way he was behaving and the language he was using in front of all those people. Because my righteousness, my self-righteousness, was being offended by his lostness. Well, let me finish the story with this, and we're out of time. We got ready to leave that night, and I just casually said to Chris, Hey, here's my cell phone number. Call me sometime. Here's my house number. Call me sometime. Maybe we can get together. And as he turned to walk away, he said, hey. And I turned around. He walked back up to me. He goes, I really need to get with you. I said, why is that? He said, man, my life's a mess. I'm hurting. I'm confused. 
and I'm scared. I said, all right, well, call me. I walked away, angry. Man, I get the older brother. I was angry. Less than 24 hours. The next morning, phone's ringing, and it's Chris. Hey, can I come by? Gave him the address to where we were living. He came to the house. And within about a week, he had moved in with Donna and I for an extended period of time. Got clean from a lot of stuff. Began to go to church with us, working with young men on Wednesday nights, uh, what we called royal ambassadors. Some of you may remember that, uh, doing stuff. He was a, man, he was such a neat guy, and he could do so many things with his hands. And so he did all these craft things, like building cars and all these things. The boys loved it. He just began to fall in. And at night, we would stay up late at night uh, talking and, and sorting through all the mess of his life. Until finally, one night, it was probably 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, he looked at me and said, what would happen if right now, right here in this room, I finally just said enough and asked Jesus to come into my life? And I said, I dare you. And he did. And man, everything changed. First thing I want to tell Chris was this. Chris, I'm embarrassed that I was embarrassed by you. I'm angry with myself that I was angry at you. And I'm thankful that God gave me another shot to see this happen to you and for you to get a new life. First person I ever baptized as a pastor was Chris. It was incredible. It was moving to me. And it settled in my heart this resolve that lost people act like lost people until they're found people. And I need to love people Lost or found, just like Jesus does. And if I don't, I'm going to miss. Miss the opportunity to celebrate. Miss the opportunity to find the same joy they find or that others find when something lost is found. And so my challenge for you today is super simple. It's our takeaway for the day and maybe really the takeaway for the series. And that's this. Don't miss the joy. Don't miss it. The joy in seeing something lost, found. The celebration that comes from that. Whether it's a Chris, like one in my life, or a Jim, or a Joe, or a Cindy, or a Mary, or whoever it is that God right now is pressing into your heart. Don't miss the joy of celebrating with them who are lost and are now found. Well, we want to help you with that today. As we get ready for a time of response and worship across our campuses, on your way out today, we provided, getting ready for the big screen, some movie ticket invite cards. Just a little invite card like we use for so many other things that talks about the big screen. It's a great way for you to start a conversation about spiritual things by simply saying, hey, you got to check this series out with me. It's a lot of fun, a lot of cool things going on during that month. Maybe you'd like to check it out. Here's an invite card on the back of our website. They can check out locations and service times. We want you to get some of those today. We want you to take them with you and use those wherever you go over the next couple of weeks to not miss the joy, to be a part of making life-changing steps for people who are lost and need to be found. And can I just say this, before you leave today, in our recap video, you'll hear about yet one more resource we have for you today to take the invitation into a conversation and that conversation to the gospel of Jesus Christ.
Hey, listen, people around us are lost. We have the opportunity to see them found. Make certain we're loving them the way God does so that when we love them the way God does, when that moment comes and they invite God into their life to take control of their life and be the Lord and Savior of their life, we won't become angry at the way they were, but we'll become filled with joy because of who they've just become. Pray with me. God, we thank you for the time we can spend in your word, for how that word stirs us and motivates us and brings us closer to you. I pray today that we would love people the way you love people. That we would be quick to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope that comes from that, and the help that he becomes to our lives. And I pray that as we see lost being found, joy would well up inside of us And rather than standing on the outside of the celebration looking in, we would find ourselves in the middle of the celebration, celebrating the loudest and the hardest because we know what it was to be lost, but we know even more the joy of being found. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.